This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hi, I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas, and welcome to Self Work. This is a podcast all about mental and emotional health, how you can get it, what you can do about problems you have, and I'm so glad you're here. Today we're going to be talking about how much we hide because we fear judgment and rejection. I'm going to share a little story of my own. There are many of you who've written to me that said that you like that about this podcast that I talk about myself some, so we'll go at it again. You know, it's a fact that we all make judgments all the time, and certainly social media is making a huge impact on how we evaluate others and then feel evaluated. But there's one gift of being a therapist that I'll tell you about having to do with judgment. There are many gifts of being a therapist, by the way, but this one is specific in its relationship to fearing judgment. Then I've learned two things that if you believe them, they will greatly reduce your own fear of judgment. Today's email from a listener, which is a regular weekly feature of this podcast, we're talking about a very painful thing that can happen in relationship if you find that your partner has developed a sexual addiction. What do you do? So thanks again for being here. We're going to be talking about both fearing judgment and making them ourselves. So glad you're here. Back in 1992, I moved back to Arkansas. I had grown up in a small town in Arkansas, southern Arkansas to be exact. We moved back to Arkansas from Texas where I'd been living for 13 or 14 years. And there were facts about my life that I didn't want others to know, especially since we were moving back to a small town. And I'd grown up in a small town. And I knew about small towns, (laughs) meaning everybody knows everybody else's business. So my own little inner voice chided, you'll be judged if people know you've been divorced twice. My plan was to keep that information very close to the vest. I wouldn't lie about it if someone asked, but I wouldn't freely offer those particular details of my background, or so I thought. Frankly, I was afraid of what other people would think. I was ashamed. I was nervous about not being seen as a successful person and certainly not a competent therapist. What does she think she's doing, trying to help others when her own life has been so messy? It's true that we can hear a fact about someone else and make a snap judgment. There'd be some people who might learn my divorces, for example, and never darken my door. We have to make judgments. We make decisions about other people, whether we feel drawn to them or not. And we actually feel drawn to people who are making similar decisions as we are. They look like us. They talk like us. We reject people who don't, or we're just not drawn to them. Even if being really different is what we're drawn to, and we like to think of ourselves as being very different, we'll be drawn to people who seem different. This dynamic even goes into who we're attracted to sexually. Studies show that we're sexually drawn to those that look like us or our opposite sex parent. 
So if your wife looks like your mother, (laughs) there's a reason for that. What I think is a fascinating aspect of our current culture is the prevalence now of social media. Social media has increased our exposure to judgment. Think about it. We give thumbs up and thumbs down on things. We vote on TV shows. We like things on Facebook or Snapchat. We share what we like. So we're much more aware of other people's opinions. We see what they like. They see what we like. And it's hard to get away from the idea that you're being evaluated. If you post something on Facebook, for example, how many likes are you going to get? We can see that someone else got a lot of likes and feel less than or insecure, like we're being judged negatively. It's not really true, but that's what our irrational self can tell us. In fact, it can become pretty ridiculous if you don't watch it. But what if a mental problem or an emotional problem is the thing that you feel you must remain secret? Whether it's depression, problems with alcohol or drugs, struggles with anxiety or eating issues. We fear that others will judge us. We fear being categorized as bipolar or depressed person bad or weak, when none of this is an accurate picture of all of who we are. Yet we know that there are black and white thinkers out there, and their verdict could be hurtful and painful to receive. Frequently, you're already dealing with shame, like I was with my divorces, and potential judgment or rejection from others can feel like it's too much to bear. So what do we do? We hide. One of the gifts, the many gifts of being a therapist is the realization that even people who look put together or who we respect, who we go to for help and guidance, who we interact with every day have problems. They have emotional pain that they're dealing with. It's simply not obvious to us. Maybe your medical doctor struggles with insecurity or depression from abuse he experienced as a child. Maybe your yoga instructor has fought for control and esteem by eating very little or working out too much. Maybe your accountant is overly perfectionistic and constantly worries over minute details even when home. Maybe your auto mechanic had severe dyslexia as a kid and bears the emotional scars of being bullied when younger. But nobody is going to talk to you about that unless you really get to know them well. So you would never know it. That doctor still listened to you and diagnosed your diabetes before it got out of hand. That yoga instructor helped you connect with your own body and your breath in a way that's been healing. Your accountant has saved you so much on taxes, you can take a vacation. And that mechanic, he's always got a smile for you, an explanation of what went wrong and how he can fix it. So if we're honest with one another, If we allow others into who we actually are, what we actually think and feel, we personally benefit, but we can also greatly decrease the prejudice against mental issues and actual illnesses. But to confront your fear, your fear of judgment, there are two things you have to believe. First, you have to believe that one fact about you doesn't define who you are. No one I've ever told in my office that I developed panic disorder when I was in my 20s and still deal with anxiety 
has walked out, claiming I should heal myself before attempting to help others. No one who hears that in my senior year of college, I ate around 700 calories a day and barely weighed 100 pounds, has informed me that I'm obviously incompetent. No one who has told me that they're trying to cope with a sense of failure around a first or second divorce has ever rejected my help when I tell them I personally understand the path they're on. In fact, I well remember the first time I told a patient about my divorces. She was so ashamed of herself and she was crying. And she looked up at me and said, I can't imagine that you would understand how I'm feeling. And I made the decision right then and there. I looked at her. I said, you're joining a club that I've been a member of for a long time. And she looked at me like she couldn't believe it. And I said, I have been divorced twice. That was that. It was important for me to tell her. And it was important for her to hear that whatever kind of thoughts that she had about me because I was a quote-unquote psychologist, she didn't know all about me. But there's another belief that you have to have to not fear the judgment of others. You have to believe that if someone is going to reject you, define you by one fact about you, then their own world is very small. They're refusing to understand and live in a world that's not black and white. It may hurt to be rejected by them, that's true, but it says much more about them than it does you. There are others that will not judge you. They will not reject you because they don't want to be judged either. So if people judge, let them judge, and so be it. But again, many will not because they also have struggles and may even tell you about their own. Here locally several years ago, there was the Arkansas Razorbacks football coach, whose name I will leave out of this. But anyway, he was found after a motorcycle accident with a woman that was not his wife. And not only did that happen, but then he lied about it to administration. And he was summarily fired. When all that story was occurring on TV, my son looked at me and he said, Mom, what do you think about all this? And I looked at him and I said, you know what? There's always a backstory. I've listened to too many people's lives to not realize that, of course, people make mistakes. In fact, we all make mistakes a lot. But there's usually something about them you don't understand. Something about them that would help explain their behavior. That's another gift of being a therapist, frankly. So if a patient of mine has kept whatever they're struggling with mentally or emotionally, a secret, I often ask them to think of at least one person that they could be absolutely truthful with, someone that their intuition or their gut tells them would be supportive. What do I hear the vast majority of the time? Something like this. When I began talking about my sadness and my fight to even get out of bed, sure enough, her husband had felt the same way years before. Or... I had no idea that his brother had been hospitalized. We sat, had coffee, and talked about it. Or, she so got my story because she told me that she'd been to therapy due to what happened to her as a child. There are things you don't know. Your own fear of rejection can keep you from really developing truly deep relationships with other people. It may feel like a risk, 
but it can be so worth it. And the relief is immense. You can be known and accepted for who you are. So our email from a listener today has to do with a trauma history for sure, but also the fact that she's found out that her husband has a sexual addiction. So here we go. You said you'd like to get to know your listeners better, so here goes nothing. I'm a 34-year-old woman, and I feel like I grew up in a war zone. My mother was addicted to prescription pills. She also has been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and has attempted suicide more times than I can count. Even now, she's always in and out of a psych ward for some reason or another. My father is an alcoholic. As you can imagine, it was total chaos at home. Overall, I felt all alone and neglected as an only child. I was and still am ashamed of my parents. It never once occurred to me to share with anyone what was going on at home. In fact, I kept the secret from everyone and was an honor student until I hit my teens. My parents separated when I was a teenager, and at that point, I spiraled out of control. I experimented heavily with drugs and alcohol and became very promiscuous. That didn't last very long, though, because ultimately, I knew I'd hate myself if I ever turned out to be even a little bit like my parents. I cleaned myself up morally and spiritually, and I felt like I started to get a handle on things. I fell in love with my husband and got married at 19. The first couple years were bliss. We had no idea why everyone warned us about the first year or marriage. Unfortunately, only a few years later, my problems caught up with me, and I was diagnosed with depression and PTSD. I see a therapist regularly, and they've helped me work through it a lot. I still have a lot of trust issues, though, and almost never open up about what's really going on with me. Just days ago, however, I made the discovery that he's been cheating on me at massage parlors over the past five years with multiple women, more times than he can count. I'm completely devastated. Not only that, but he's also admitted to a porn addiction and claims he thinks he's an alcoholic. Before I found out about the cheating, I guess what concerned me most was the wall that he'd built around himself. For a while now, he and I have both suspected that he may have perfectly hidden depression. He's always had an obsession with looking perfect to others. I kicked him out immediately when I found out, and I'm currently seriously contemplating divorce. I guess my question is, how do I cope? What factors do I take into consideration to make an impossible decision? How can I ever trust him again? What should I be looking for in him at this time? I will ask these questions of my own therapist, but I just feel like the more help I can ask for, the better. Wow, what a discovery, right? Very, very difficult. So I write back. There is so much in what you write, and thank you for sharing your history with me. I'm obviously struck by your own resilience and ability at a very young age to understand your reactions and try not to recreate problems that your parents had. And those problems were significant and painful for you. It sounds as if much has been good between you and your husband, and you're reeling from what you've discovered. I'm glad you've already established a relationship with a therapist who can help you. The fact that you've been diagnosed with depression and PTSD isn't surprising, given what you experienced. But I know that can be very difficult, and I hope that treatment has helped. And now you've been hit with the impact of your spouse's issues as well. 
It may be that he has a sexual addiction. It certainly sounds as if it's highly probable. Patrick Carnes has written extensively on it, as well as his daughter. That's C-A-R-N-E-S. They both have books for the addict and for the spouse, so you might take a look. The initial one was Out of the Shadows, Understanding Sexual Addiction, which I'll have in the show notes, by the way. It's very hard work, but it can be done. There are therapists that are trained specifically in treatment for sexual addiction. The designation or the letters after their name is CSAT, Certified Sexual Addiction Therapist. Interestingly, it's been my observation through the years that often it's only when someone gets into a quote-unquote safe relationship or one they believe is safe that their own problems emerge. And remember, mental illness or disorders tend to arise in your late teens and mid-twenties. Since you married so early, you're both within that time range. Your spouse likely has had some kind of trauma from his past as well, and it's emerged in this very painful way really for both of you. It sounds as if you're shocked. I would advise taking the time you need to make a decision you won't regret. If it's only been a few days, then you need time and space to work through very complicated feelings. You don't say whether the two of you have children or not. If he does experience what I term perfectly hidden depression, if he's built that wall around him, then he has some work to do as well. It just so happens that the Gottman blog published a piece of mine yesterday on healing from an affair that might be helpful to you. It's a hard road. And I'll have that link to that blog post that I wrote for the Gottman blog for you as well in the show notes. Obviously, this is a tremendously difficult thing to discover about someone. The sense of betrayal and deceit is monumental. Perhaps between the two of them, in the years that they have had together, they've established enough trust that it can withstand even these kinds of issues and problems. It is very complicated and difficult work, but it can be done. Of course, this listener is also considering divorce, and that is an option. I just want people to make sure that they think through things and don't act impulsively, especially if their children are involved. If you find yourself in this boat, or if you have a sexual addiction, know that you can receive treatment and get help. Again, the Patrick Carnes books are excellent resources and a great place to start. Thank you so much for listening today to Self Work. And thanks to those of you who've left ratings and reviews recently. I so appreciate it. It means the world to me. You can contact me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. It's confidential, and I do get back with you. If I use your email to me on the air, I always mask your identity. But it truly gives me a great picture of who's out there listening, because I don't know. (laughs) And of course, I try to reassure myself that people aren't judging me too harshly. (laughs) So if you give me a rating, a review, and it's good, then I feel great. (laughs) I also have a website, drmargaretrutherford.com. And we just redid it within the last month or so. I think it's fresh and very maneuverable, so I'm proud of it. So you might head over to drmargaretrutherford.com. I also have a Facebook page that I not only post my own articles, but ones that I find particularly interesting, and that's drmargaretrutherford on facebook.com. You can subscribe to my website, and you'll get a weekly newsletter with my weekly blog post and podcast. 
So that's an easy way to catch up with me. For those of you who've been listening to the podcast on Perfectly Hidden Depression, episode 60 will be on Perfectly Hidden Depression, and we'll discuss a particular treatment approach that I've been working on, very much more specific than what I've written before or podcasted about before. And actually, it may take more than one podcast. So I hope you'll tune in. As always, thank you so much for listening. You can subscribe, and I'll know you're looking forward to the next self-work. So take good care. I'm Dr. Margaret. And once again, you've been listening to Self-Work. Self-Work.